Wake up, by your pair of people. It's a beautiful day. Go grab yourself another cup of Joe and say hello to Jim we're, and Michelle. We have Rose a weird audio setup. If you're there, good morning. morning show. So take it away, you two. Good morning. Um, I actually, yeah, this is an interesting um, thing that we're experiencing. If you guys are there and can hear us, go ahead and say hello and let, let us know down. that you can hear us. Um, we uh it's kind of quiet on our side so yeah, just don't know if yeah. setup, so. <laughs> something strange in the setup every day is an adventure isn't it though it really, really that's part is. of the fun yeah. uh, mystery of going live right it so. really is it really really is so let us know if you can hear us um so we're uh it's monday mm-hmm. indeed. Um, indeed and we've got a little bit of uh um not very many announcements. No, just a couple. Today, uh, Mariotta. So, I, I, yeah. I keep saying Mariotta. I don't see an R in there anymore. Like it's Mid Atlantic Independent Auto Dealers Association. Miata. Miata. I <laughs> but, uh, Sorry. <laughs> That's a but, car. But yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, that conference starts mm-hmm. on Sunday. So that'll run uh, September 24th through 26th in Atlantic City. So those of you in that uh, corner of the country mm-hmm. ought to get involved in that. And then. Uh, You've got uh, LHPH Capital Conference coming up in uh, October. That'll be the 12th through the 14th. And Michelle and I will be broadcasting live from yeah. out there on Friday the 13th. Yeah. So oh, that's kind of spooky. So, comes. yeah. If you guys can hear us, please let us know so that we know that it, um, there's uh, we weren't able to hear all of the, the morning stuff. Yeah. So if Everything you guys can, looks okay on our end, but yeah. it just didn't sound right. Good, morning, Good morning, George. George. I'm sound assuming like that you can hear us. So, George must um, be good. <laughs> um, so yeah, Marietta coming up, and then we've got the LHP conference yeah. on the 12th, 13th, and 14th. So like we said, Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. we'll be broadcasting. We're going to make it lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be good. I love to joke about I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Right? Um, You're marginally stitious. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, and also, we decided on this coming Friday, we'll be, uh, we're going to do Friday Night Lights episode. We're going to talk about a connection between football yeah. and uh, buy here, pay here. We, well, I think Jim's seen that show before, and we kind of like decided that uh, I'd never seen it. And so we've been watching watching that and Jim um you know that's the kind of football that that uh Jim kind of did and as a, you know it's this it's Friday night was a big was a big thing um high school ball and in and his um small town and it was a big big deal you, you, you it know, was a big deal in my small town but I didn't realize how big a deal it was until I moved to Texas somewhere around 2004. Yeah. And uh, wow. Yeah. Texas, yeah. it's everybody's a big deal in, in Texas uh, mm-hmm. football and of course college ball on Saturdays. But yeah, yeah we're just going to talk about how, uh, what kind of parallels there are between yeah. the buy here, pay your business yeah. and just, just business in general. Cause you all know that that's like, that's probably a thread in every conversation that we ever have. <laughs> is buy here payer so it's like oh this is applicable so you yeah know, well you'll you'll get to learn on friday how friday night lights is applicable to buy here pay here and it may be you know we may do other ones there was an awful yeah. lot that we've, we've we've listened to and think um also good morning uh facebook user i posted on that you could hear us so they're, they're getting us so the internet is working it's working okay. so today's topic um is um breach of contract or who breached the contract is it us as the dealer or is it 
the buy here, pay here customer. Mm-hmm. And we've had a little bit of conversation about that. Um, yeah, and, and, and this comes up. And we I mean, see it. It's one of those kind of secondary topics that doesn't come up uh, very often, mm-hmm. but it's, um, yeah, there's been some stuff on social media lately that kind of spurred the conversation for me. And occasionally we have a conversation with clients, you know, in this context, but let's just make sure everybody understands right off the top. We're, we're not attorneys. We're not offering legal advice here. Every right? once so in a while we do a melodrama and we pretend we pretend are, but we, turn, yeah, we so. usually preface it with, this is a melodrama and right. we're pretending to be attorneys. Sure. Um, so yeah. Oh, oh hi. Again. <laughs> Facebook user. Who's Karen from Charlotte? Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Yeah. So this, uh, this topic is something that I think we, we see a lot of threads on social media mm-hmm. around different things that are kind of you're getting into gray areas that really, you know, when we get ourselves as dealers into gray areas, we, we run a risk of making a mistake. So we need to keep things kind of, we need to keep things black and white as well as we can. And um, this is an area when we talk about a contract, as I said to Michelle, when there's a dispute, you know, or there's a problem and we want to sue the customer, or we want to repossess the customer, you know, if we call our attorney, and say, hey, what can I do about this? I promise you, the first thing the attorney is typically going to ask is, uh, "What's in the contract? What's the contract say? Send so, me a copy of the contract." But, but let me ask you this: uh, Do I? And, and I, I don't know this. Um, before you move forward with something that it might be punitive in any way, do you contact an attorney right. and ask them if it's a good idea? Because Um, there's probably, it's a good idea. It's, we're just saying it's a good idea. Um, because there's no plausible deniability and it's just like, you can't say, well, I didn't know. It's like, you know, it's contracts. Yeah. So, um, contact an attorney. Yeah. And I think for, for this, it's like, look, we get it. The chances of a customer actually filing suit against Mm -hmm. you is low. Uh, but those of us that are on Steve Levine's uh, email list with Ignite, we know that it happens. I mean, he sends stuff, actual yeah. cases of things that have happened in different pockets of the country. And yeah. and they're not all huge dealers. And it might not be. I mean, how easy? Uh, what's what's the uh, um, it's it's harder for someone to go to an attorney than it is for them to go to the Better Business Bureau, to go to the state, to go mm-hmm. to whatever regulatory, you know, that they'll just they'll file a complaint. Yeah. And, and um, some more, of what we're talking yeah. about here is, is just, is pure business. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's legal. It's like mm-hmm. the contract and the language in the contract and how we enforce the contract. Some of what we're talking about here is very much legal. Mm-hmm. Some of it would be more ethical. It's, but it, mm-hmm. but for today, I'd really prefer to stay in the context of legal. And I don't want to forget to mention, I looked it up and I didn't have, I couldn't find the way to copy the link as I often do is mm-hmm. um, a post that it did back in February of 2021 where I asked dealers, when you contract a buy here, pay your customer, do you view the car or the collateral as your car or the customer's car? car? Okay. So let's cover that ground first because it's, you know, it's kind of that old thing about possession is nine tenths Mm -hmm. of the law, right? Like we've all heard that. But in this case, what we're really asking is it's more mentally like the contract says the same. And all of those 10 customers, Mm -hmm. seven out of 10 dealers said, I view it as their car. Not my car. You, you can bet when the when the customer has some worn out tires or brake pads, the dealer's probably going to treat it like that's your responsibility. That's yeah. your car. It's your job to maintain it. And in that poll, again, more than two years ago, dealers said 
I seven out of ten said they view it as the customer's car. Can I? I just I'm asking. I mean, to me, in a way, it kind of looks like um, wanting your cake and wanting to eat it too. Mm -hmm. And so, is it their car or is it your car? Because if it's their car, I mean, is it is it something that um, that ethically that we can say i'm sorry i don't like how you you're i don't like how you're using your car and so i want to i want to um uh, uh enact punitive whatever um yeah. yeah so we haven't explained yet uh, tyler simmons put in a suggestion there which i agree counselor library with hudson cook is excellent um steve levine's email list at ignite yeah. is definitely go to ignite consulting partners yeah and uh, subscribe to their email list he's got a lot mm -hmm. of great stuff and yeah we know you're not likely to end up in front of an attorney on this. Mm -hmm. It's not likely. But if it's the one case and like if we could set practices in place where we, you know, we're able to avoid this. What we haven't explained yet, Michelle, is that the, the main thing that came up is we, we see kind of this thing about dealers getting frustrated about customers using their cars for uber and uh, george and just said this yeah. comes up regarding uber drivers yeah for sure which That's is one of the ones. it's and and just so uh, consumer also uh, it, it's like uber is a great way for someone to make side money to be able to support their family better and so and i know it's in a car but it's like it's it's like honest work they're yeah. out there. They're out there hustling to to find ways to feed their family and pay their car payment and all that kind of stuff. And it's a very low bar yeah. in being able to get into it. So you know, not a lot of interviewing, but it's like you can start immediately and work as much as you want. So there are a lot of reasons why I think people that are our customers would look at that as I need to supplement our income. We yeah. just had this thing here and my son just you know, did this and I now have medical bills or whatever. And so how can we supplement? And so I think that's something but that I, is. I mean, that's true. If easily. you're talking about supplemental for a month or two, that's mm -hmm. one thing. But what yeah. we're seeing, like I saw one this morning on social mm -hmm. where the dealer was saying that they, they got a car back and it mm -hmm. had an <clears throat> ungodly amount of miles in like 10 or 12 months, like, you know, 150,000, something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, and so obviously the problem there is that it degrades the collateral, mm -hmm. but the question in my mind, and I can't help when I think about this, like when I had my dealership, it was in the state of Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma is a garnishment state. We could do small claims action. You could file a suit against the customer. And you did. And, and, and we did some. Yeah. And so, and had plenty of success with it. Um, but in that case, you could, you could go to the courthouse and for roughly $200, you could file an action and force your contract. And then when you were awarded a judgment, you could garnish the customer's wages. So the reason it's important to me is, and I'm hopeful that, that, that one day we would have that across the country mm -hmm. because in some States where you don't have that, it's, it just happens too often that the customer walks away from a contract with no consequence. And mm -hmm. why is that important? Because George brought up the Uber, Uber thing. Well, let me say George, that you're the dealer and I'm, I'm financing the car from you. Well, if i if I'm paying you for the car, it's going to be, it's my car. I just have a finance arrangement with you. Mm -hmm. I'm making payments to you and I'm going to ultimately own this car. And if I run the, want to run the wheels off of it and suddenly, you know, I've, I've degraded it to the point where it's just a pile of metal. It's worth $500. I still owe you the full contract amount, regardless of what's happened with the car and the collateral. Mm -hmm. So I still have to follow. That's my problem. I have to follow through on the payments to you. 
Now we know this is knowledge gap stuff, right? Mm -hmm. This is where the customer doesn't understand that. But also, even if the customer understands it, in some cases, there's no there's no recourse. If I run the collateral all the way to the ground, my credit's already a problem. And now George repossesses the car for me and I still owe him $13,000 on the account, pitch picking numbers and being ridiculous. But it's like, if I, if I still owe George, I still am obligated to make the payments. So there's yeah. a difference between the car and the collateral and the, and the contract. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have a job to do in the buy your payer space, but I'm just saying, and I hear this also in service departments, you'll hear stories from dealers about my service advisor said that, you know, we need transmission in this car, but the, the miles when they bought it was this, and the miles today are this, they're putting a lot of miles on it, boss. What do you want to do? Well, what is how many miles? Like if I buy the car, it's mine. Like if I want to go see my cousin in Nebraska, every it's my other car. week. Yeah. It's, so yeah. this also comes up with GPS radius stuff. And yeah. so again, we're not attorneys over here. We're simply saying, if you just look at the language in the contracts, it's like, what does your contract say? So it's like, if, if, if we can't enforce the contract, yeah. but but the problem becomes when we start enforcing things that aren't exactly in the contract, just because you're you're upset, like the thing with Uber and Lyft, it's a big question. People, it's a thing. Like and we, and we are seeing dealers this. put specific things in their contract that says this vehicle will not be used for, um, uh, like taxiing and uh you know these uh, i know i can't think of what the words are but we've seen that they're that yeah. they they are putting that in the contract sure. but there's a lot of contracts out there mm -hmm. that don't have anything that specifically speak to this but, yeah ride sharing might be the, the yeah ride sharing yeah terminology you're looking um, for, but yeah well, but it regardless is like there's other things like this is mm -hmm. one example of where the collateral gets used differently Many years ago, I heard an attorney named Bill Maypother, and he rested peace, he passed some years ago, but he, I remember him talking about something called an insecurity clause. So let's talk about what an insecurity clause looks like. And again, not attorneys over here. I just, I remember as a dealer going, looking for language to create an insecurity clause in, in my contract or choosing one that had one. And, and in the simplest form, what that is, is going to be if I'm a dealer and I, I'm financing the inventory, the collateral here, and if I have reason to believe that my collateral is being diminished or mm -hmm. destroyed or um, you know taken away, then I would have the opportunity to act. Now, that's, that's tricky. That's a little grayer. Like, how specific is the information? If you've got information that this customer's mad at, at you, Mr. Dealer, and they're going to take this car out and run it off a bridge into the lake on Friday, well... It's hearsay. It's something verbal that you heard, but it's like, can I act mm -hmm. to protect my collateral? Well, sure, in a contract, we should be able to act to protect our collateral. But based on what information? Like, how specific is it? The other one that comes up, I just want to make sure and get it said so I don't forget. One of the ones that we see happen that also is kind of this gray area where I think dealers can really get themselves in trouble is when they allow a customer to pay late, pay late, you know, like they have a history yeah. of letting the customer pay late. And let's say, for example, just pick some numbers. Let's say that at one point in the contract, you allowed the customer to pay 20 days late and you didn't um, act to, to, to repossess, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And now the customer has been back on track for some time, but now they fall behind again. And, and now they're 14 days late, but because you've got some other information or because you're upset with them based on some, some information, now you're going to repossess it 14 days late. Well, that's a problem. And that's not speaking as an attorney. That's just saying you created precedent. <laughs> your contract yeah. said this. You allowed the customer to do this. 
And now you change your mind, you're going to do it differently. And so I, this is the thing about, and there's, there's a form called a notice of strict compliance, which, and again, not an attorney over here, but we've used this stuff by seeking it from attorneys in the past, is that when you're going to change practices on a customer, and some of this stuff like we're talking about, like it's, it needs to be in the contract at the time. And if it's if you're going to start enforcing the contract differently, then and, you have to know and not quite, that's a question that comes up frequently with dealers that we've worked with. It's like, so this is happening and and we've done this in the past and, and it's just it's becoming a problem. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things that that I as I've listened, Jim's like, well, you need to send them notice mm -hmm. and then you need to be consistent to that notice. Right. Um, which kind of you roll the whole thing back. It's like, let's be consistent with the contract period. Mm -hmm. And then you don't ever have that problem. If they're late, they're late. But we're, you know, we're talking about Uber drivers and, and all of that. But if you're going to, if you're going to enforce something in the contract that you haven't enforced before, you're it, one, you're going to have to give them proper notice. And that's not just, Hey, I sent him a text yeah. or whatever. There are forms. There are, it's, it's a very formalized thing. And then you have to be consistent because if you send that to them and then they, you know, they make their payments on time for three months and then they're 14 days late and you're not dropping the hammer, mm -hmm. then it's like, well, that's null and void. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, and George says here, you know, when you take it out of the buy your payer business, it becomes more clear. Why? Well, because in buy your payer, we have a unique situation where we're financing our own goods. And there are some there are some distinctions about that. Like when you're financing your own goods, it's not like you're a lender providing a simple loan to buy something else that would make you a simple lender. In this case, we're not quite that we're 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 using a retail installment contract. Think about the phrasing retail installment contract. So it's not a loan agreement. It's a it's a it's a contract. I'm, I'm retailing merchandise. I'm allowing you to pay for it on an installment. So we have a different kind of layer of things in our contract and our arrangement. And, and I'm just saying, let's involve attorneys. You know, Michelle and I aren't attorneys. We just want to keep dealers out of trouble. Yes, and yeah. we want to create clear communication. Like in a, in a white hat context, we talk a lot about, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, that thing about good fences make good neighbors. Like that was a thing. Like we talked about that. That was a, that was a real thing. People understood boundaries and you, you, you honored those boundaries. And sometimes you had to go out and enforce them. And word would get out, hey, they enforce these boundaries. Don't go. I, I, I hear stories about Jim's dad is out there. People joy riding on the, on the land and he's out there and stops them and says, you stop now. Mm -hmm. And then they and had to prosecute. And he had to prosecute a couple and, yeah. and then it just stopped. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's not about, you know, it's about just having clear understanding it's, mm -hmm. and, and making sure that people, you know, do what is understood. And so in this case, that's all we're really suggesting is let's be clear mm -hmm. and let's don't act based on something that we haven't specified in the contract. Cause that's where I'm yeah. saying, when we talk about something like breach of contract, I'm saying this is where dealers I feel like get in trouble potentially is by stepping out of bounds and enforcing a contract based on something that's not specifically in the language of yeah. the contract. We were talking this morning um, uh, about, the, the topic and and um i noticed that jim wrote down on the the uh the list of things because we have like a little sheet that we fill out I get, i'm forgetful uh, yeah. yeah um is that uh buy here pay here kind of like in the same realm as lease here pay here and that when you and because i was thinking about well when you lease a car instead of when you buy a car mm -hmm. 
that they do put mileage restrictions. Sure. And it's it's like part of the contract Absolutely. that if you drive it more than this, that at the end of the lease, if you want to purchase or whatever, that you're going to have to pay this. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a clear understanding that and I, you know, I think that normally it's like 12,000 or something miles a year or whatever. And, and that if you think you're going to drive more, you just let them know. And then they adjust that. And mm -hmm. it's like your payment may go up some, but you know, this, that this will work, but that there's, there's a real, there's a real clear in leasing it. There's a real clear thing about how many miles you can drive. Sure. And, and that is, you know, if, if you're dealing with a lot of Uber drivers, that is as, you know, just a, um, general like business type person mm -hmm. like that would be more attractive if you know that you had a lot of people that were doing that. I was, I wanted to mention like uh, we've, you know, we have friends that uh, do leasing and um, you know, it's like, it's, it's a different model. It's um, but I, uh, Nick Marcosian, who's now on the, the, uh, the NIADA board, um, I, I noticed that he started, he has a buy here, he has a lease here, pay here, but he also started a, a, a gig rentals. Mm -hmm. And so he's, I, I think that it's, we'll have to have him on the show or something to talk about it, but it's like, he decided this is a problem even in leasing. And so we're going to separate those. And so people have an option here where they know this is a gig rental. If mm -hmm. you need it for the week, then you can rent it for the week. And it's, it, you know, low cost, whatever. It ends up being more than what a regular payment would be every month. But it's so, you know, you find ways to be able to allow yeah. them to be able to make a living and that you can feel comfortable and you can feel safe and that there's very clear fences. There's lots of ways of doing that. Yeah. We also hear, I think I barely touched on it. We also hear dealers trying to enforce, um, like a radius thing based mm -hmm. on GPS geofencing. And I'm just saying, let's be super careful about that. Like as a non-attorney, I hear that. And I think you're, again, you're going to yeah. tell me I can't go visit my cousin in Nebraska. You know, yeah. it's like with the car that I'm making payments on, I'm yeah. just financing it from you, I, but it's mine. And you know? Okay. So again, go ahead. I, I, you know, it's like, I, I've been in dealerships where they're like, they're, they're policing their inventory and they're like, they got people in GPS every day. And it's mm -hmm. like for, because the energy they put to the customer is very punitive. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, you know, GPS can be something when, when that becomes a practice to watch where your cars are, mm -hmm. that becomes a, different kind of culture that you're creating in your dealership. Right. And so, you know, when I've, it's like, well, we're watching and they're doing the, this, it's like, okay, I get it. I get it that you want to watch and protect your asset, but is it their asset or your asset? Mm -hmm. And if it's, if it's your asset, then, you know, clear fences. Yeah, kind of thing. It, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so what's clear about that? Who's yeah. I, and well, and, and I just, for, for me, I mean, I, I understand protecting your assets. Mm -hmm. um, there just seems to be something like it's, it's, there is such a level of distrust when that's what that's it, it's your, your team, your, your, your team at, at the dealership is it's really, it perpetuates distrust of the, of your customer. 
Sure. Um, yeah. So again, I think we just we we would like to see dealers be super clear, and and mm -hmm. of course dealers need to build and enforce the contract. That's Absolutely. not what we're suggesting at all. We, we, we know you need to build and enforce the contract. So perhaps an addendum, you know, perhaps mm -hmm. get some legal advice and see if an addendum can go in your contract. That maybe ask them about an insecurity clause. Maybe ask about uh, you know excess mileage. I mean, you mentioned the lease thing, and yeah, that's yet another example, or another benefit of leasing is having. Ability to a different them. understanding. It's still yeah. you know if in that mm -hmm. scenario, if the customer reached the the end of the lease term and they hit their residual and they've overused the the car by X number of miles, there's still a collectability question. I mean, can you still will the customer have the money to pay for the miles that they've overused? Mm -hmm. And so again, for me, it's really just I I hope the day will come that across the country and I, and I you know I just think we we need to figure out how to get that at at every state level so that a contract is enforceable. Like, you know, and and think, let me just run through it quickly. We got a few minutes. Let me just make sure people would hear what what we used to be able to say. Sometimes mm -hmm. it was didn't have to be in the contract, but in the interest of trying to communicate to the customer on the front end, I often in our contracts we had language and we would present it verbally to also cover this thing about um, insurance. Is the is the clearest way to educate the customer and to say. You know, if you it's your responsibility to maintain your insurance. If you don't keep your full coverage insurance and an accident should happen in Oklahoma, we had tornadoes. It could be whatever. It could be somebody steal the car from you. It's important for you to understand, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, that if that car is stolen from you, for example, that you still have an obligation on this contract. So the car is the collateral. And yes, we all hope the collateral holds up well and lasts a long time and has good value. But if something should happen to that collateral, if some, if the car was stolen and you had no insurance, you still yeah. have this obligation that's, on the contract. That's an interesting thing to educate people on. Yeah. And I mean, so, it's so it's like this is not that we're lending you the individual money and this is what we're using as collateral. Yeah. And so it's like that agreement, regardless of whether or not the collateral is here, is between you and I. Well, not, and the other thing that yeah. that does and the reason it's significant, and I think it kind of relates to this this conversation we're talking about here is, again, going back to Oklahoma with it. And, and garnishment is allowed in other states where dealers could take the same posture. But I, I remember making this claim in the past on social media and people pushed back like said that's ridiculous we could never do that well in oklahoma if the if the customer were hiding the car we knew they were they were blocking they were chaining the car to a tree or they were yeah, hiding it in their stories <laughs> so so or they were hiding in the garage and we knew it. we could we could see that they were clearly hiding in the garage well i would just simply because in the state of oklahoma i have a car and i have a contract fine hide the car I still have your signature on this contract and I know where you're employed. So go, go hide the car and set it on fire. You know, it's like you, I still have the contract over here. So I think as dealers, sometimes we get a little too wrapped up in the possession of the car as collateral. It's just collateral. You still have this contract over here, regardless of the car. But some states don't have so the same making ability. But we had the ability in that. Yeah. But I think you could still, even in those cases, you know, depending on the language in your contract, you might not be able to garnish wages, but you can still get that judgment. And so there are there should be remedies in most every state. To be able in to, most every state, you can get a judgment on a contract if they're not. Yeah, but like people say, it's like judgment. It's just it's a piece of paper that's worthless. Some would take that position, right? And so I think um, it's really a question of enforceability. And every state will be a little different about that in terms of what you can enforce. But getting the judgment shouldn't be a big deal. You march down to the courthouse and spend a few hundred dollars to filing fees. And the customer probably doesn't show up in court. And now you've got your judgment against them for the full amount of the contract.
So now it's kind of, it's yes, it's net of the repo proceeds if you have a repo, but I'm simply saying in those cases where there was no collateral, customer wrecked the car, it went to the junkyard, it was a couple hundred dollars and, and there was no insurance. Well, I still have a contract, customer still owes me that. That's unfortunate that the collateral went away, but the customer still owes the contract. And of course I would be agreeable. We would typically, um, and I, I tell one a quick, other quick thing for folks to know about why it was so helpful we would be able to negotiate through customers who, let me just kind of run through it. Out of 10 people that we might file action against, maybe two or three showed up. Okay. And, and when they did, the judge would send us down the hall to mediation. We'd meet with a mediator, reach an understanding. And I can just tell you that in my experience, I, I was plenty agreeable as a creditor. I would be very workable about the payments. Look, I just want you to follow through on the understanding. It, you know, you still have this understanding and I want you to follow through and it could be a small payment. But if the judge set the payment amount, like if it just went to, to they wanted to dispute and wanted to fight and the judge ultimately set the payment, the payment often was two or three times higher than the original car payment was set on the mm -hmm. contract. So it's like, you know, as a, as a dealer creditor, I was able to say, we don't want, you don't want the judge to set the payment. Like we've got customers paying three times what the original payment was. You don't want the judge to do that. Let's reach an understanding. And then if they failed on that, then you'd have to go back to the court and, you know, get some remedy. But, but you get the idea is we have to separate the car from the contract. And we, we have to be careful as dealers to just go out there and get real personal about the collateral and get upset about them overusing the miles you know, and taking action based on that, because I'm, I hear dealers kind of pushing back on warranty claims and this and that based on, you know, whatever language in the warranty thing is, it, that's a different agreement than mm -hmm. whatever we're talking about over here. But this, you know, the retail that was actually country. something that we were talking about, yeah. like the reinsurance, it could be, this covers this, if you, you know, as yeah. long as you're keeping it under this amount of miles or whatever. And, you know, of course, we, we expect the customer to honor their understanding. We expect them to fulfill whatever the contract says. Uh, uh, I think it's reasonable to expect that the mm -hmm. consumer and their lawyer are going to expect us as a dealer to honor what, what we said we would do in the contract. Sometimes that's a warranty, sometimes whatever, like we're going to have to honor. And that just goes back to the language. So, you know, if you're if you're in an uncomfortable area there, check the language on your contract. And if you need to get an attorney to help you write an addendum and make your contract a little stronger, more specific, I think it's fine to enforce whatever the language says. But, you know, if, if you enter into that agreement and it's compliant with your state or whatever, then, yeah. then it should be enforceable. But we just see dealers really kind of living on in they're trading in dangerous waters and some of this stuff. It's pretty great. Well, and that's, that's where I was like, you know, they uh, uh, a customer might, uh, yeah, get a little out of sorts um, because you're like, no, I'm not going to do the thing because you did the thing and the, mm -hmm. or the, you know, all of the stuff. Um, and they may not go to an attorney, but darn it all. You, if you get enough complaints, you do not want to be an example Mm -hmm. uh, because we we're watching what's happening with um, with regulatory commissions and and making people an example and it you do not want to be the one that's the example and so how do you stay out of having complaints and clear fences and you know making sure your contract is is because like Jim said if if it goes to court it's going to be what did your contract say and the uh, late. Bill May Pother also mm -hmm. said, we should all as dealers do everything we can to keep our customers out of attorney's offices. So it's just, you know, let's not put ourselves yeah. in that position. You know, let's let's uh, find other remedies and, mm -hmm. and work things out and, and not end up there. So that's probably a good place to wrap up for today. I think, like I said, this is a big subject. And just remember, 
we're just speaking to you as your non-attorney friends. Over <laughs> we're just friends trying to help keep you out of trouble. So it's like have clear understandings, clear, clear, clear understandings, and uh, you know, make sure that you are consistent with those understandings, and that you're ready to enforce the understandings. Sure. And you know, for whatever it is that your state allows you to do to enforce those understandings, be prepared to do that. And don't ever let it get personal. <sighs> personal. It's yeah. a business matter. Yeah. And so if they mistreat the car, they mistreat the car. It's a business, legal and business matter. It, well, well, we're in the buyer payer business. We're going to have customers that mistreat the, yeah. the car. It's not personal. It's not personal. So, yeah. So, anyway. All right. Well, Let's, uh, let's Happy up, Monday. I hope everybody, everybody has a great day today. And uh, George Spatt, um, Tyler George Spatt, Simmons, Tyler, Karen and, Barnett, thanks yeah, for tuning in. Thank you in. so much. Um, we, uh, we appreciate your, your feedback during the show. And uh, hope you guys have a great week. Happy Monday again. And we will see you uh, on Wednesday with White Hat Wednesday. See you then. Thanks so much, everybody. Talk to you later.